Hello. In the last episode, I spoke a bit about the sources of inspiration for some of my stories, or rather some of the sources of inspiration. And one source was scenery, that is, the things I notice happening around me as I move through the city or wherever. And something about that just stuck in my head, and I, I don't know what it was, but I started going through, oh yeah, I remember this, I remember that, and this and that. And so I thought, rather than do an episode on writing as such, I just would like to share some of the scenes uh, that I remember. And this is a tiny, tiny, tiny dot in terms of all the scenes that I do remember. But just share a few of the scenes that I happen to find interesting. These things, some of them are recent, some of them come, occurred way, way back. And I'm telling them in the order in which they come up in my head, so there's no chronology here. The first one, and easiest of all of them, happened a couple of hours ago. So I was walking along the single, uh, heading home, and about 100 meters in front of me, I saw a coat, a sort of, just a very large coat. Then I noticed a hat, and at the bottom of the coat were these two feet. And from where I was, and because of the sun, and of course because of the shape of the coat, the coat was this uh, sort of semi-parabola, I think. And these two feet were, I, I really wish I had taken a picture, but I hadn't. And you had these two feet sticking out. The person was still, so I couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman, or, but the look fascinated me. And because there was a bit of wind, the coat would move slightly from left to right, or from my left to right. And as I got close, I saw it was a lady. And it's just one of those images that made me think of a cartoon-like character. So they're or not as in a character in a cartoon, but a cartoon-like character, if <laughs> there's any difference. And that's just one of the things that could trigger when I'm later on, I could be working on a story and I want somebody or a particular character, then I'd go back to that image and build from there. Another thing that pops to mind, and I'm sure I have this thought because of autumn, or I know I have this thought because of autumn, and it has to do with leaves. So a couple of days ago, I was just walking and at a point, I don't know why, but, but my attention was grabbed by all the leaves on the ground. Uh, there are leaves all over the place at the moment, so these yellow, generally yellow, brownish gold. And there were these leaves on the ground, and I'm walking, looking at the leaves, and at a point, I told myself to try and feel the shape <laughs> of the leaves. So not describe it in any way, like say, oh, it's pointy or this and that, but just to feel it. So some, they had all these shapes and I was trying to feel, did it feel friendly? Did it feel what? Don't ask me why I was doing that, but I was doing that. And I was so focused on it. I think I just got onto autopilot, which happens quite often while walking around. And it didn't take that long before just seeing those leaves sort of threw me back to last year around the same time, late October, early November. There had been one of those autumn storms. I don't know if they are officially called storms. There was a lot of wind. And where you have a lot of wind, then you have a lot of leaves blowing off the trees. So I was walking along the waterfront 
and I noticed the water was just covered in thousands and thousands and thousands of leaves. And this was at night when I noticed it, so I stopped and I was just looking at them, and they're sort of moving very gently, and it was this, you know, general hypnosis. Another thought that talking about leaves generates is one of primary school days, again autumn, and that is running through the park where the, the ground was covered with leaves. And I'd run or we'd run and you, we just love that crunch, crunch, crunch sound of the leaves as we're zooming this way and that way. And that went on until one morning you'd notice that most of the leaves were covered in this uh, sparkling white silver coat and that said winter was definitely on its way and since we're on leaves then one thing that leaves bring to mind are my observations of those workers from the municipality who attack leaves with their noisy blowing machines and yes it is something that we think is a good thing but Certain thoughts jump to mind whenever I see that. I wonder, for example, why is it that we seem to prefer leaves on trees and not on the ground? And then, and perhaps because I'm from the forest, I suddenly look at the idea of having a job, and that is your job is to blow leaves from here to there and there to here. I find that very odd, um, very fascinating. One side thought jumps up, very fictitious is the idea of some uh, unstable dictator who for some reason suddenly decides that it is illegal to ever move a fallen leaf and so leaves just have to stay where they are and so um, yeah I mean as you can see leaves surprisingly open um, many many doors to very many different memories then there is this scene that happened a long, long time ago. I actually worked out how long ago it was, and it's just ages. It's, it's so long I'm not going to mention. But it happened in a post office, and it's a very favorite memory. I, I don't know why, I just it, it always makes me laugh. So I'm in a post office, in the queue, in one of uh, many queues, I think two or three queues. And this was back in the day when a post office was almost like a cultural center. You, you, it, a lot of people were in post offices. People sent mail a lot more. Internet, it probably existed in academia, but it wasn't for the average person. And so I'm in the post office and nothing special. I'm looking around, seeing the people as I do. And I quite like looking at the people working behind the counter because you just notice these various patterns. And so this thing happened. Um, on my left were, I think, three or four ladies. They might have been between 65 and 70. I'm not that good uh, with ages. And they knew one guy behind the counter because I, they were talking and they were pointing at him and they were say, saying something about him. And the guy they were talking about, he had, he was probably 40s, uh, between 40, 45. And what I remember is he, he had this center parting. It's, it's a kind of parting style, hairstyle that when people are losing their hair, it, it sort of camouflages the loss slightly. And he was the, he seemed to be in charge of everybody. He was the oldest person behind the counter. And people would go to him and ask certain questions. 
And so one uh, uh, of the workers, there was a form or something needed to be done. And so she went to him and he was facing, he had his back to us and he was doing something on a, on a countertop uh, at the back of the post office. And she spoke to him and then he turned around, looks at the form, he gets this stamp and <laughs> he sort of, you know, dabs it into that pad to get the ink on. And then he lifts his arm up. I mean, really, his arm was straight up and he brought it down in a single swoop, bam, onto that form. And I had never seen anything like that. It, it was almost, it wasn't even an exaggeration. It was just his thing. He had figured that out. And it was just amazing. And I'm quite convinced, but I could be wrong, but the elderly ladies on the left who seemed to know this guy and ob obviously... Uh, thought much of him I am quite sure they practically shivered when he stamped that thing so I suddenly got this whole thing in my head that was this guy was he nobody could stamp a form like he could stamp a form you know that arm action it was it was quite phenomenal and yeah I don't know that that one if I'm down or whatever, I can just go to that memory and I always end up laughing because even though I've, I I tell it in a rather dry fashion. It was just incredible to see how that guy smashed that stamp onto that form. It, it was almost like a tennis player hitting um, uh, an ace or something like that. It was, it was wild. Another memorable scene took place in the south of France. This was during the period when Lance Armstrong was was still competing in the Tour de France. I'm laughing because now it's funny that you go from hero to zero if you misbehave. So anyway, at the time you had uh, Lance Armstrong and I think there was a guy called Ulrich or something like that. And he, he wasn't in Armstrong's team. So because we were in Languedoc and I think it was going between Carcassonne and Set or something like that, but the tour was coming and we decided to take the kids down to have a look at the tour. What I didn't know is that it, it's quite an experience because you get to where it's coming by and you just find your position at the side of the road and then you start waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And of course, to make sure that the waiting isn't horrible or too tedious, Every so often you hear this to do 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 and these vans come by and they're throwing out all these goodies and bits, you know, things just um, bag, little, I mean, little tote bags and sweets and toys and whatever. And the target audience is clearly the children. So we're there and every so often a van would come by and kids would get stuff. Oh, there are lots and lots of kids there. But what was very weird is there's this guy uh, definitely in his 40s <laughs> and he didn't seem to be connected with anyone but he was battling with the kids for the goodies so you have to imagine a grown man a grown man <laughs> these kids were like seven eight that kind of thing and he is snatching things he's too fast and he grabs this and grabs that and the kids are in shock and lots of the other parents and other people are telling him off telling him to behave himself what does he think he's doing and he just ignores everyone and grabs that stuff and i don't know he didn't look odd he didn't look he, his actions were very odd but he just look, looked like a regular person he didn't have a strange expression on his face perhaps a defiance but yeah that was one of those things and talking about scenes i mean there's so many things that you remember 
I tend to, I think I have an affinity for or I am drawn towards um, absurd things. I find them very funny. We humans, are, I find us very wonderful, but also very funny. There's this other one from 1995, and this was when Ajax, the Ajax football team, won the Champions League. So we had been watching on the Manikstrat with some friends, and once they'd won, I mean, it's not, I'm not a football fan, but it's on finals and those kind of things, you, it's just a lot of fun. So Ajax had won, and we all streamed out, out of the, his house, along Manikstrat to Leitzerplein, and it's as if everybody in Amsterdam was just coming to Leitzerplein, everyone was cheering and shouting and dancing and this and that, you heard all these songs. And it was super jam-packed, but it was a lot of fun. Until this really odd thing happened, and that was the atmosphere very slowly began to change from joy and excitement to a need to destroy things. It just became uncomfortable. And what I can remember of that is at a point there was there were a couple of guys on the tram shelter, the tram halt shelter on top of it and they had their arms at one edge and they were sort of swinging back and forth and back and forth trying to destroy the shelter and around you'd hear uh, uh, you know people were cheering and it got darker and darker and we just uh, buzzed off but that memory just the sense of how uncomfortable the atmosphere became it stuck with me for a long time and some years later i was talking to a Spanish, I think he was a neurobiologist, I'm not quite sure, but I know he's dealing with cells and brain behavior. And I told him about this, and he said, oh, that's interesting, because he was studying crowds, and he said that the effect of crowds on an individual is, is much more than you can think. So, look, I haven't studied this, and I took his word for the truth. He also mentioned that um, quite often when you have riots or so the police try to break the crowd up into smaller groups because it it becomes easier to control who knows but i will never forget the change of atmosphere something almost as if just like the weather can suddenly change it felt that way and that was quite peculiar there's also this one from westerpark i think it happened a few years ago and I'm, I like Wester Park a lot, so I sit there when the weather's good. I sometimes write there, as I may have mentioned in an earlier episode. And I'm sitting on this bench just enjoying the weather. And I notice a family coming along. So it's mum, dad, two kids. The mum is in a wheelchair. And the dad, he's just got a very jolly vibe about him. And the kid, in fact, all of them, there's a lot of joy. And so they walk, push the mum to... I'm wondering where they're going and they go to this tree and then the dad and the kids climb up into the tree and it was just like the mom is clapping taking photographs they're laughing there's so much joy uh, so much fun just to see this guy with his kids and I you know so there are times I look at things and I think oh yeah that, that that must be really cool to be in that position and I can imagine that um of course I never I never climbed trees with my dad but uh, I can imagine there is there's a sense of fun and he I mean they were really climbing into this tree not just at the lower branches but he sort of 
lifted them up sort of on his shoulders and they climbed up and then he climbed up and they went higher and higher and higher. And that was just one of those really great things to see. One ancient memory that of course sticks is just weird. I was with my mum, we were going shopping and that is shopping for things like food and stuff. And we were at a greengrocer. So we're there, we're walking towards the greengrocer. And I mean, this is back in the day. So everything looked, it was really green grocery. So a lot of stuff was on the outside in, I think in crates or, you know, those uh, sloping displays with all the goods. And the man, he had a sort of brown, I th I could be wrong, but I think he had one of those brown overcoats. Is it overcoats, those work coats? Sometimes they're blue, sometimes they're white, but this was brown. And this kid, maybe I was about eight or nine, I don't know, but this kid who was older came and threw a strawberry in the man's face. <laughs> Just threw it in his face, it smashed on his face, and the kid ran off. And so there's, of course, confusion and chaos and what what's going on i don't remember what the greengrocer said i think he was annoyed and definitely shocked and when i asked my mum why had that kid done that well all she could tell me was he must have had a reason you know that you don't do such foolish things without a reason i now know that it's actually possible to do foolish things <laughs> without much of a reason but back then it was just fascinating to see this smashed uh, strawberry flesh all over the mainly i think the right side of the guy's face it was there and it's one of those yeah it's just an odd scene that um, i have never used it in a story but the i think the dynamics and the mechanics of such a situation i have used uh, uh, before there's a category of scenes that involve people having an argument and i'm not talking of really horrible things because i've seen some fights and that just is too ugly so i'll leave those alone but this is more just a verbal argument one afternoon i'm walking through one of the narrow streets that connects Brouwersgracht and Halmerstraat. So if you are an Amsterdamer, you know this. If not, well, just think of a sort of narrowish street. And in front of me, about 20, 15 meters ahead, there's a family. Two teenage kids, boy and a girl, walking in front. Behind them is a dad, and a bit behind the dad is a mom. And the dad is just raging, you know, furious. And what I pick up is that the mother had said or done something in front of the children. He's going on about, in front of our children. No, 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 in front of our children. He's just so angry. And then the kids, I sort of, <laughs> I look at them and probably sort of just lift up my brows like, yeah, sorry, uh, I can't do anything about it. And uh, possibly I felt slightly embarrassed for them. But no, they looked at me and they just rolled their eyes as if, look, we know this and they're at it again. And I felt so sorry for them because, <laughs> you know, it's bad enough being a teenager on holiday with your parents, or it can be bad enough. But when they're quarreling in public, it's uh, extra gloomy. So you've got your teenage hassle that is just buzzing, you know, throughout your teenage years. And then you've got your parents um, uh, embarrassing themselves in public. But you know, I hope the lesson learned by the teenagers is that everyone is human, so even parents can, um, yeah, sometimes they lose it. 
some of the scenes are, I think, closer to experiences than they are a simple memory. So I have one, the, when I first went to Nigeria when I was 14, and we have a, the way it is with us is that you are from a village, and that village is your father's village, it's the village where his father came from, and on and on. So it doesn't matter where you are born, like I was born in England, but I'm always from, in my case, a village called Ohafia. And Ohafia is, even when I say a village, we call it a village, but Ohafia is made up of 26 villages and I believe its population in total is in I don't know it's definitely about three four hundred thousand maybe more so it's actually quite a large place but we call that the village and the you do have an ancient part or all of these villages have old and new it's just the contrast between what is old and what is new is much greater than what I'd ever experienced in England, for example, anywhere else. So on this first trip, um, it's very open there. You, everybody seems to know you, and you go from this place to that place. So one cousin came and said, oh, we have to go and visit a lady in the old part of the village. And this was in the evening. Uh, sun sets very quickly there, so it was quickly dark. And we, he takes me and we leave the main, you know, the electrified part of, of Ahafia. And we start going off-road and further and further away. And the sounds of, like, all the radios and all the music shops and all those kind of things disappear. And it changes and you start hearing very mechanical sounds. So the sound of people pounding things. Uh, then also animal sounds, a few animal sounds, uh, just voices, um, people, human voices. And it got darker and darker, and I had no idea where I was, but I remember feeling as if I was walking back in through time. I mean, really going back with every step away from the, the newer part of Ahafia. I was going back centuries and centuries. And eventually we get to this hut where this lady lived. And she lived in this hut with goats and she had animals around. And the experience of her, she was holding, like she knew I was the son of my dad. You know, everybody knows these things. And she was holding my hands. I remember sitting and she's holding both of my hands and she looks into my eyes and her eyes had this little sort of gray ring around them. She's very old. And it was as if her eyes would just go straight through me. They could see everything. There was nothing to hide. It was impossible to, to hide anything from such a person. And um, I don't know. I never forgot. I always had this thing in me that wished I had a time machine that allowed me to really, really go back and see what was life like there before all the chaos before all the intrusions and everything what what would it have been like and and that thought is still around it's actually playing a role in um, some new material i'm working on time will tell when it comes out um, but we will see then on the subject of scenes that are also experiences there's this one super long drawn out <laughs> uh, <laughs> episode i'll call it and uh, we live in the center of amsterdam which means from time to time you will have mice zooming around your house and i mean they look cute but you you try and get rid of them in our house if you're in an old building as most people are, are in in the center 
then the mice they just find they know how to get in so we have discovered or let's say i learned or we learned that each mouse has its own thing some will eat this and some will eat that and there was this mouse that kept coming and i wanted to catch it and i'm not i don't kill i'm not going to kill a mouse and i don't like the traps that kill mice so i use all kinds of various techniques um uh, to either scare them away or i even have one trap that catches them and it allows me to release them somewhere else but there's this mouse that just wasn't playing the game it was like i tried i don't even know what i didn't try i had all these things set up with a bit something to eat here on the end of a ruler if the mouse went and grabbed the food the ruler would tip over and force the mouse into a bucket but the mouse got the food and didn't end in the bucket i would wait up very very late trying to get this mouse waiting 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 so i see this movement but it was always too fast and i tried and tried and tried and tried and could not get this mouse that it, i really began to get a bit obsessed with this mouse because it felt as if it was now personal it was no longer a case of oh just another mouse that did that no this was really a very personal thing going on between the mouse and myself and i never caught it but um it did make me think that a lot of the stories that come out uh, into the world and thrown out into the world have possibly been motivated by what i would call mouse problems okay look i realize i can just go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever about these things i'm sure we all have you as well we all have tons of memories that you think oh yeah there was that oh there was this and that and that and these things are just for the storyteller this is essential material you have to just look and keep looking and listening and watching and all that stuff and you will use this material one day or it will influence something i believe at least it does in my case so i could go on and on but i won't i'm going to stop yes there is a lot of stuff I talked mainly about the slightly ordinary, slightly funnyish things. Some experiences are much much darker and they leave a different kind of echo in the spirit, shall we say. So in the meantime, I'll say uh talk later.